We talk a lot of, about trauma on this episode, uh, on this show. We talk this episode. We're going to talk even more about complex trauma. We're going to talk about how this is showing up. So many facilities, mine included, moved from a a recovery model that was based on dependency into dual diagnosis. And now dual, that's become a buzzword in the industry. What is dual diagnosis? And quite basically, just, just very simply, it means there's more than one thing going on. There's addiction, dependency issues, and there's trauma, and there's a mental health issue. But this trauma thing continues to emerge. And I think I can safely say in my facility that every single person and, and I'm talking about my staff too, because I did the ACE quiz, the Adverse Childhood Experiences quiz with the teens and the staff in my facility and 100% scored on the quiz that demonstrated that they were dealing with trauma. So let's talk about trauma. Let's talk about complex trauma. What is it? How does it show up in dependency? How does it exacerbate drug use? My guest today is Elizabeth Davis. Elizabeth and I are going to talk about trauma. We're going to talk about dependency. We're going to talk about uh, therapy, including art therapy, which Elizabeth is extremely skilled at. Welcome to another episode of Beyond Rich and Back. I'm your host, Aaron Huey. This is the WCSAD Virtual 20. 20 conference because of COVID we're all online. So thanks to C4. We'll be giving a shout out to the sponsors partway through the show. But my guest today, a speaker for the WCSAD conference is Elizabeth Davis. Elizabeth, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Sorry, say that again, Elizabeth. I had forgotten to unmute you. Say it again. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Absolutely. Elizabeth, when I interview staff, new staff members, especially new therapists who are coming into the facility, when I interview staff, uh, uh, therapists and doctors for Beyond Risk and Back, I always have a question. I hope it's not too forward of me to ask. Um, it's, a, it's an out of left field question and I haven't prepped you for this. So here it goes. What happened to you in your life that you ended up being a therapist trying to help other people solve the things that happened to them in their life? Oh, how did you yeah. end up in the industry? Well, this is a long and winding road. I don't know <laughs> that I would have enough time to fully flesh this question out. Um, I I grew up in a uh, a pretty um, uh, rural uh, Southwest Virginia uh, hillbilly uh, family that um, uh, was isolated and uh, pretty. Um, um, impacted by poverty. Yeah. And I got the opportunity early on, I was lucky enough to do well in school to get uh, accepted into a good university and be able to get scholarships, that I was able to kind of get out of poverty and work my way uh, into understanding maybe into a place where I could really understand even where I came from. And I look back now and I see a lot of the impact of trauma in my family and also how that um, experience has actually propelled me toward understanding the field of trauma. So as I teach other therapists, one thing that I always uh, bring up in my training is how we have to look at our own history to understand how we got here because most people in the field are wounded healers 
and they have a background in trauma that makes them propelled towards understanding trauma. And if we don't understand how we got here, we're gonna have a hard time helping our clients really have insight into their own background. So it's a great question. <laughs> And so, I mean, not only do the do the the speakers and guests, but obviously all the clients. There's so much going on, you know, in the, in the whole family dynamic and the family system and the social system that they're brought up with. So the, uh, this brings me uh, to the question of how are you doing your work? Are you currently with a a treatment facility? Are you in an ind individual practice, or are you just traveling around, espousing your wisdom for the rest of us to to learn and grow from? <laughs> I'm a director of the Trauma Institute and Child Trauma Institute, which is a nonprofit that's based in Northampton, Massachusetts. I actually run a satellite in the Buffalo, New York area. Uh, and I'm uh, the intake assessment director of the Institute, which means I have to be really good at assessing trauma and people who are applying to be in our program. What we yeah. specialize, do you want me to go, go ahead, in? Please continue. Okay. Yeah, please what we continue. specialize in is intensive uh, trauma therapy, which um, consists of mostly EMDR therapy uh, over the course of days and sometimes a week or more straight. Uh, so we work with a client essentially seven hours a day, getting deep into uh, what's got them stuck. And we work through trauma memory after trauma memory, and we do the healing work because now we really have good techniques and approaches to do healing. And it's hard to do in hourly therapy. Yeah, so are you in an outpatient setting or a partial hospitalization? It's an outpatient okay. and it's an educational, it's, it's, an, it. it's deemed an education, we're a research facility. So we actually compare different kinds of trauma um, healing methods side by side. And, and so we have comparison uh, studies between what progressive counting, which is another form of um, uh, or structure to working through trauma memories and um, EMDR, which is really well known. Um, I'm an EMDR trainer and we also train and train all kinds of therapists in how to uh, do EMDR and complex trauma work. Look, you're, you've already become one of my favorite people. If you're doing art, if you're doing EMDR and you're working with kids, we're best, we're besties right now. So I want to, let's, let's talk about the kids you work with uh, as you're doing assessment for intake on, on these studies. Uh, age group, what, what, what age group are you working with? And this is going to lead me into What's our most common traumas we're starting to see? And at what age are you starting to see these kids needing the care? And are kids more resilient or less resilient than the, than yours and my Gen X generation? I like, I, this is where I want to go with this, but let's start with how old are the kids are you, are you assessing? I assess kids and families from the age of three, believe it or not, um, all the way, I mean, we work with lots of adults as well. As well. So we really work with all ages. I, the bulk of my background, maybe 20 years of my background has been yeah. focused on adolescents and children. So worked a lot with foster care, worked a lot uh, with in residential treatment. So that's kind of my background, but also a, a lot with adult complex trauma as well. Okay. 
so we go the gambit. We have different therapists who specialize in different populations as well. So we, we direct towards our staff, which has different skill sets. And so we okay. can service just about um, any, any age. Trauma in and of itself being the, 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 which, which I'm, I'm very grateful for, but, but the understanding of trauma, uh, the trending towards the focus on trauma, the, the trending towards making sure that we've looked down that path, whether it's a big T or a little T trauma within that, uh, within this hyper-focus that's taking place in our industry right now, are you seeing trauma trends or attachment issues or are we is, is abuse becoming more prolific and during covid are you even seeing something different start to emerge well with covid you are seeing the exacerbation of a lot of symptoms things are becoming more well it's more stress so with more stress on the system of somebody who's already um trying to manage uh, a trauma history, uh, you, the symptoms usually get worse. So trends, my specialty is attachment. And okay. uh, I think, you know, <laughs> we have so many problems with attachment in this country. Uh, the way in which our, our systems are even designed and our communities are designed don't reinforce, you know, uh, families and communities to be able to provide what's necessary for children to really feel safe growing up in lots of communities. So I would say attachment is like the, the bedrock of where it all starts and often where you have to go back to do the healing first. Um, and yeah, I think this, the trend is not in a good direction. Um, and overall, um, it's hard to look at trends because you're in it all the time. There, there's yeah. a, another problem. You know, you don't want to try to make a grand statement when you're always in the micro uh, lens of what's going on. Um, but more and more, I mean, you see, um, we get complex trauma mostly. Complex trauma is the most common trauma. It's not type one trauma, single event trauma. It's complex childhood chronic trauma. And that kind of trauma almost always involves uh, relationship issues in childhood where there's abuse or neglect and often because families under tremendous stress uh, due to social conditions. So Break down, break down complex trauma now that we've bridged into that because we also need to bridge into the dependency issue and how these things are linked. But define complex trauma for us. Not, not everybody's heard this term. Okay, complex trauma has been around. Um, uh, actually, Judith Herman in 92, uh, 1992 wrote this book, Trauma and Recovery, uh, where she identified complex trauma as a different kind of trauma than what we thought about at the time, which was more that single event, that big thing yeah. that happened. And complex trauma she defined as this pervasive chronic condition, usually growing up, where this, the system of, of someone's regulation is overwhelmed and overwhelmed being kind of another word for trauma, it's too much. Yeah. And if this is pervasive, then the, the person has to erect ways of managing 
around this trauma, which often turn into defenses or addictions or behaviors that help the person just get through. And so, so I, I want to ask real yeah. quick, sorry to interrupt, but I want to ask real quick, which system is getting overwhelmed? Is it, is it the emotion? It, it, so emotion. it's a, and, and often it, of course the body. So when we think yeah. about complex trauma, we think about emotional regulation being a really difficult thing, development of relationships, trusting other people in a relationship being that being sabotaged by right. uh, the trauma as well. And so skills not developing at the same rate as they would in, in, a, in a place where there wasn't trauma. So skill development, interpersonal relates. skills, yeah. um, um, the body also dissociation. When we think of dissociation, checking out, just sure, not being sure. present. Um, and so these these aspects of the person get impacted, their thinking, the way they think about themselves, the way they understand and identify themselves, shame being a huge issue with complex trauma, negative beliefs about self, negative schemas, these kinds of things impact the way the person develops and set, kind of sets up their, their view and interface with the, with the world. And in development, um, you know, we know the brain, you know, the first stuff we learn is the most important, you know, in a way it's, it has the deepest, right. richest roots, right? And right. so as a person grows up when, in a high stress environment where they don't feel particularly safe, they're going to have um, challenges adjusting um, even when, the, when there isn't trauma, they're gonna have challenges address, adjusting and not having that survival lens on all the time, not being always ready to, to distrust or to see somebody as a threat or um, to detach in a relationship that gets tough or um, to not ask for help because you feel like you need to be self-reliant all the time, can't trust people. So these kinds of, of defenses become part of the problem uh, that right. we treat in complex trauma. Okay, when we come back, I'm going to give a quick shout out to the gold sponsors of today's show. And when we come back, I want to bridge complex trauma into dependency issues and the, the chicken and the egg conversation. It sounds like complex trauma comes first and dependency issues exacerbate, but that's not always true. And I want to I wanna talk with you about how that plays out. So stand by for a second while I do a, a quick shout out break. Okay, folks, when we do this, this online virtual uh, uh, experience, this, the WCSAD, these are these conferences that we get to go to and we meet everybody and we hug and we shake hands and we sit in each other's seminars and we learn and it's phenomenal because in a weekend, uh, I, I can have 36 guests in a weekend, and 36 people giving me their insight and their input that I can turn around and take back to not only my staff and my supervisors, but put on the show and give to the parents. So the parents have this information. When COVID hit, the conferences went bye-bye. And for those of us who really thrive on that personal connection of these conferences, it's been hard. I, I miss doing a show with like our guest Elizabeth and then hugging and exchanging business cards and talking about other things. But C4 events, 
thankfully has kept these conferences going has just moved them on to online and it's been a great success we're still getting this information and this education out there and we're all still learning and growing our business our practices and our ability to support our own families Today's gold sponsors, the gold sponsors for the WC, the West Coast Symposium on Addiction Disorders, are as follows. And these are the people who showed up with the most time, money, and energy to make sure that this has happened. And I'm talking about Max Connect Marketing, Burning Tree, BRC Recovery, uh, Incredible Marketing, Court Furniture, and the District Recovery Community. These are the gold sponsors of the WCSAD Virtual 2020 event. They made sure we could keep going and keep doing the work that we love to do and making sure that people like Elizabeth can get her message and virtually to people all over the world, not just in the experts' hands, but in everybody's hands. So huge thanks to our gold sponsors, huge thanks to C4 Events for keeping the WCSAD going, even when we can't do it in a big hotel room where we get to high five and hug each other. Okay, let's get back to our guest, Elizabeth Davis, talking about complex trauma. All right, Elizabeth, chicken and egg time. Yeah. When somebody is in recovery and we see that they've got complex trauma, does it matter which you deal with first? Can you truly deal with addiction and complex trauma at the same time? Can we expect abstinence? And as they crash down from uh, 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 withdrawal symptoms, we're having them plunge headfirst into childhood complex trauma. How do, how do you guys run this? You're, you're saying that seven hours a day in a very short, highly impactful experience, which comes first and which do you deal with first? Well, first I want to explain that uh, we use a phase model of treatment. And the phase model of treatment means that you can't go into the trauma material until someone has a certain level of stability Phase one is skill building and getting their life in a place where there's not too many triggers that are going to derail them if you add more stress to their right. current situation. So you have to bring stress down and reduce triggers, get some emotional regulation, which means a lot of skill building and some uh, other kinds of therapy in order to engage in uh, activating trauma memories for resolution. And right. if you don't follow a phase model, you could very much destabilize somebody back deeper into the addiction because the addiction functions for people who have complex trauma as a way to help them regulate the trauma load. And so if you activate the trauma before you have some good tools and strategies in place, you're gonna make it worse and you don't wanna make it worse. So it is a dual approach, but you're not doing the actual memory work until you get the phase one part of, of uh, the, the, the whole trauma model is a phase model. So all of that is trauma work. Even if you're stabilizing a client, you're working on their trauma because you're stabilizing so we like to work at both at once, you know, so the, the both, you, they need someone working on the addiction piece and um, uh, working on the stabilization and understanding the trauma piece. Because the maladaptive coping strategies are the way we deal with the trauma triggers. 
right? Um, when someone is is moving their 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 self through the phases of your program, how do you know they're ready? And then I'm asking this for my listeners. Like I said, I run a facility that does this level of work, but this is easy to, for you and I to talk about. How does a parent know? And I was coaching a family on this last night. How does a parent know? This kid's smoking pot. They're afraid he's not going to make it to college. They're, you know, he's he's threatening suicide and running away every time the conversation gets difficult. How does the parent know when they're ready to have the tough conversation about you can't spend your money on weed anymore because we're not paying your living expenses once you leave the college. So it's time to practice smoking less weed and dealing with your anxiety and depression more. How do those who are non-skilled see the phase what are what are some of the signposts i guess is what i'm saying that you guys look for my specialty is assessment so when i have somebody that is wanting interested in our program i'm going to ask them are they in a stable therapeutic relationship with a therapist before they go into doing intensive work Um, how much stability do they have around their substance use or their behaviors Um, the one of the good things about doing intensive work is there's a bubble around it. You you dive into it and there's a controlled environment while you're doing it. And in a way that is helpful to someone who is or has been struggling with addiction because they have a space in which this is all they're gonna do is, is work through uh, trauma and work through um, past adverse experiences. But I want to say one thing, they can't do that work until they have a bit of stability first. And, and uh, aspects of their addiction are really realistically engaged. In other words, they do, they're seeing it realistically, they're not lying to themselves and in denial about it. Um, For uh, families who have children or uh, teens or, or you know, adolescents that are going through this, it's, it's really a lot of education sometimes. This is what you need to do first. You need to have some kind of therapist who's working with, with your child before they're able to go in to, to do this kind of deeper work. It's a team approach. It's yeah. not uh, drop them off on our doorstep and pick them up afterwards. <laughs> that doesn't work. It's, there's always bridging in and out of treatment like this. Um, and the person has to have enough skills and enough motivation to do it. And even though we can work on that uh, in the environment of an intensive, they have to still really be willing to do the work. Um, so that's, that's the short answer. Assessment is a, is a hard thing to do. Yet there's a, many, many factors that go into it, in, including uh, attachment assessments and and looking at uh, how someone is, their mental state and where they are in their mental state uh, to see if they're ready to do intensive work. I have a, this is, this is my, my last question before we then turn it over to you and, and make sure that the listeners can contact you and, and connect with you either personally or your program to follow up with you. But my question is this, and, and I am truly curious of this question. This is not one of the questions that Aaron already knows, but wants the expert to speak on it because Aaron thinks he's an expert on everything. But this is something that I don't actually know. Doing as many assessments you have done, especially with children, teens, and adults. 
does do certain types of trauma lead to certain types of dependencies? Okay. I see a lot of kids who cut that are dealing with depression or anxiety, but, but I also see the boy version of that is marijuana, but I'll get kids in with some deep trauma, especially kids who've been trafficked that are, that are, you know, it, are, are staring down meth and heroin, but why meth and why not heroin? Because those affect such different parts. So I guess the question is, can you tell by the substance what they're actually dealing with? I can't, I, I can't, I don't have that. I, I can tell you that you have um, behaviors that are internalizing and externalizing. So somebody who's self-harming may have a very different defensive structure internally than someone who's externalizing and uh, focused solely on the substance to, to help them regulate. So cutting, for instance, or behaviors like that can have a very different function internally for the person for regulation than um, an externalizing kind of substance use or behavior uh, that's more externalizing like porn addiction or something like yeah. that. Um, so they're, they're different. You know, the etiology, the complex issues can be the same, but how someone goes in one trajectory or another you know, can just be the conditions of the attachment relationships early on, the, the timing, the stress, the models in their family, you know, how other people are dealing or how they're avoiding uh, their emotions. So uh, it's, it's pretty complicated how someone ends up in one place or another. And, and you know, we know the more we look at complex trauma, it's called complex for a reason. You know, there's just so many, each person is so different. And, um, and, and to appreciate that, uh, you know, how they might end up with a substance that's so highly addictive to the brain and also is so numbs out the pain and helps, helps them in the short run, but, you know, leads to disaster in the long run. Um, it, it's, I think cutting or some, some behaviors like that or eating disorders, you might associate more with um, affect dysregulation you know, so someone who's up and down and, and internalizing and negative and then externalizing at other times, or um, uh, with someone who has just a substance use that say they have a marijuana addiction or, right. or you know, they, they might be more externalizing, not going inward, not looking inside, just looking externally and avoiding. Um, but it's not consistent. Absolutely. So I'll just say that. You know, and I, I, so look, A, that's a safe answer, but B, that's the smart answer. It is, it's safe because I really doubt anybody has created some sort of guide of the, if this, then that, because it really is complex because humans are complex. The brain is complex, but it's also smart because you don't come in narrow focused saying, well, if they're doing this, then it must be, we can make some broader assumptions. And I, and I think, I think that can make sense, but the, the moment we are, we are 
and, and, and when I've had guests or when I've seen experts say, you know, here's this evidence around this one thing. So therefore it's always this. And that's just never true. All right, Elizabeth, let's, let's talk about families who are listening to you and saying, okay, I, I have a family member that needs assessment. Um, what's your ideal client and how they can get in touch with you. So let's start with the ideal client. Who are you going to pick up the phone and immediately be able to start to connect with and assess? Well, it's hard to say what an ideal client is. Anyone who's having symptoms um, and they're unrelenting and maybe they've been in uh, weekly therapy and actually that stirs the pot and it makes it worse in a way. This might be an ideal client as long as they've got reasonable stability and a good relationship with a therapist, that would be my ideal client because they already have an established therapeutic relationship. And that therapist is going to be help, be able to help them um, work towards a, an intensive and afterwards to really capitalize on what they do in the intensive work. Um, how to contact um, uh, our website is the best way, um, which is childtrauma.com. Um, oh, that's but, a great URL, <laughs> We've been around since post 9-11. And so, oh. you know, we, that, that's when our executive director, Dr. Ricky Greenwald, started the, the Child Trauma Institute. So childtrauma.com is our um, website. Um, there's links there t- uh, into our programs that describe them. Uh, we are in Massachusetts, we have a grant in certain counties around Northampton, Massachusetts, where if you're a victim of crime, also you can get a free intensive if you qualify. So that's an important part of our research and also a really great thing for people who just happen to live in that area. Um, and so uh, uh, my, my phone number too is another contact. Um, I can give my phone number uh, 716. 716- Four three five nine six one one, and I'm uh, the intake specialist for Trauma Institute. So if you give me a call, I can set up a time to discuss uh, your situation and see if your your situation fits with what we're able to offer. And it's childhoodtrauma.com. Child. Trauma. Child trauma. Child no hood. Childtrauma.com. Childtrauma.com. Yeah. Childtrauma.com. Yeah. Elizabeth, thank you so much for being on Beyond Risk and Back. I really appreciate uh, the information you had to share, the fact that you're part of our WCSAD experience. And uh, let's let's get this uh, info and phone number and website, childtrauma.com, out to everybody in the world. Thank you so much for being on the show, Elizabeth. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. It's my pleasure. Stand by while I sign us out, okay? So... Complex trauma. I, I wish Elizabeth and I had more time to talk about EMDR and art therapy. I, I, I truly believe that EMDR is one of the, the it's magic. I, I mean, everybody who does EMDR, and I'm, I'm watching Elizabeth nod as we're talking, like anybody who's done it, we employ it here at Fire Mountain. Like it is, it is one of those things that those triggers all of a sudden lose their edge. And then they start rounding out and pretty soon 
And it's, it's incredible to see. So families, I have a bunch of shows on EMDR. Check it out. Elizabeth brought it up. She's an EMDR specialist. So I know she would have gotten way into it had we had more time to talk about it. Plus art therapy. Oh my God. Uh, get your children involved in art therapy. If, you're, if you know your children is dealing with trauma, get them involved in EMDR. Learn more about it. But... If you like what Elizabeth had to say, go to childtrauma.com, contact her on the phone number she left for you. Get the process rolling, get the support you know you need. I wanna thank Deepin Productions for helping me produce this podcast, doing this awesome music. I love this bass line. Ah, he did such a great job on the sound. Also, Your Cause Consulting, who helps get me get this message in front of the people who need this message all over the world. My thanks to C4 Events for keeping the conferences that we all love and go to going, even virtually. This has been uh, C4's WCSAD Virtual 2020 Conference. My guest was Elizabeth Davis talking about complex trauma. And parents, you know what I'm going to say next. Take care of yourself first, your adult relationship second, and your children third, because that's how you do your best work with your children. Your children cannot drink from your empty cup. My name's Aaron Huey. I'm your host of Beyond Risk and Back, and we will talk again next week. Bye for now.